Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, good morning. First of all, I want to thank all of you that served at Night to Shine on Friday night. What a great night. And they're going to be a, there's a video at the very end of the service where you'll get to see some of the things that went on there. But we appreciate your help and uh, uh, your work there. Um, secondly, I, I, I want to talk about, in the history of the United States, there have been times where there have been uh, revivals or awakenings that have happened in our history. Um, there were several in the 1700s. Um, some in the 1800s, and then the last one that really um, hit in our country was in 1970, and it happened at a, at a university in Kentucky. It's where it started. It was called Asbury University, and it spread and became the, the Jesus movement or the Jesus revolution. And I've grown up, you know, when I started in the ministry, um, nearly every pastor that I came across, evangelist, was tied back to that movement. And it had a profound effect on that generation and really set kind of the foundation and the, the movement of the church going forward. And since that time, you know, all those, those men that I've met, they were so impacted by it that it, it really um, stayed with them. And they would try to explain it and, and explain how it happened. And what happened is, and it's always been this way in America, it happened that there have been patches of revival that would kind of break out in different places or a movement of God. And I've prayed for that off and on my whole life. There have been times I've prayed for it and thought, man, we were close. And then there's times I thought, man, it's never going to happen in my lifetime. And I'd get discouraged and stop praying about it for a while. And then God would bring me back to it. And I want to, this is the first time that I have ever said this. I really believe that's happening right now in the United States. And I think that's happening here at this church and at some other churches in, in, the, in the area. And, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about numbers, about, you know, how many this or how many that. But over the last five or six weeks, there's been some really amazing things that have happened at our church. Our attendance has gone up by about 150 to 200 in just the last month. We've had the... Yep. We've had the, the, the largest attendance in the last five or six weeks this year than we've ever had in our church. And not only that, you know, one of the things that really struck out to me, I don't know, some of y'all have been to the early service and it's, man, it was really good this morning, but there's, there's usually not a whole lot of salvations because those are usually our folks that work in other areas of the church. And I think that, you know, that passage in the scripture, you know, where it says, rise up, O sleeper, I think that was kind of written for them. And, you know... <laughs> It was, it's kind of, you know, been a little, but anyway, a few weeks ago, I looked up and I was like, oh my gosh, there's like seven or eight people that are looking up at me when we do the part where we ask people if they've accepted Christ. And that was kind of a wake up for me. I thought, man, something's going on. I want to tell you this because we, like I said, we don't talk about this very often, but in the last just three weeks, there've been 71 people saved right here in our church. Some of those have been in the service. Most of them have. There have been a couple in the children's area. Uh, the women's ministry had an event last week. Two people were saved there. And all those things, you know, we talked about it for a long time in our staff meeting on, on Monday morning. What, what is driving this? Because we haven't done anything really different. It's just been, 
you know, the, what we do on a regular basis. And what I, what I told them and what I was seeking was, whatever we're doing, we need to figure out what it is so that we make sure we keep doing it. Because we want to, you know, we want that to go on. And then I got a phone call or an email from a guy, and he's from a, a church in our area, in a kind of an outline area. And, and he said, hey, man, he said, we, I, I, we've had this jump in our attendance, and I wanted to ask you some questions about you know, how you, you prepare for growth and those kind of things. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And then I, I talked to a friend of mine. He was calling about Nightshine. His church did one for the first time this, this past Friday, and he wanted to talk to me about some of the elements of it. So he called me up. I've known him for 30 years. And he said, what's going on in your church? And when I told him, he said, he said, man, he said, that same thing's happening in our church. He said, we're up in attendance like 150, 200. And I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what it is we're doing that we make sure that we keep doing it. And then I found out this last week that the place where that last revival started in 1970, 50 years ago, they had a revival break out there again this past Wednesday. And so here's what I'm telling you. I don't know exactly what all it means. I don't know where it's going, but God's moving in this country in ways that I've never seen, that I've longed for, but never seen. And I want us to talk about that today because there are some things that we need to be doing, some things maybe we don't need to be doing that we... I want to see God's spirit move, and I hope that you do too. And I want to see God do something in this country like he's done before where revival sweeps across this place. And one of the things that's interesting to me is how it's always just kind of started spontaneously in patches. I mean, we, we ain't been praying as a church for revival. We didn't plan for it. We didn't do any of those things. But you're starting to see the fruits of a movement of God like I think can be a powerful thing going forward. And one of my greatest hopes for it, because those, those movements, you know, they go for a period of time and then, and then they, you know, something happens or whatever, they move on. But one of the things that it did for that generation was it really set the tone for the church for the next 50 years. And one of my prayers has always been that God would make this a place where people were called into the ministry, called to be missionaries, called to plant churches, called to go and do ministry. Because let me tell you something, there aren't very many people that are going in the ministry right now. There are churches that have been looking for pastors and looking for uh, ministers in different areas for years and can't find anybody. And we need to raise up another generation that sees being called to serve God full time as an honorable and as a righteous and as an exciting calling. I did when I was a kid. And I, I want people to see that. And I want to see a generation that longs to serve him. And so that's why a lot of times it happens. It begins in younger people. But I think that we're seeing that right now. And, and I want us to be ready as a church. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, verse 17. And I'm going to read a verse there, and then I'm going to pray for us. If you wouldn't mind standing, please, in honor of the reading of God's word. Let's see, what did I say, 517? Now I got to find it. All right. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we are blessed and excited to see the ways that you have moved 
in our church and in other places around the country. And Father, we invite your spirit here to move among us, to speak to us as you choose. Father, to convict us where we need to be convicted, to encourage where we need to be encouraged. And Father, help us to be prepared for your movement and for whatever you might do. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Father, overwhelm us with your presence. Father, when we leave here, may it be more than, well, I saw my friends or I heard a message or we sang, but God, may it be that we experienced your presence, maybe in a way we never have before. God, come. Lord, move among us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God is, is always present, and he's always working. And there are a couple of things about that that I want us to know, and, and, and that's he doesn't always move in groups of people at the same time. You know, he's moving in this person's life, he's doing this, he's convicting that person. But there are times when God comes, and, and it, it affects a whole people. And that's what I believe we're beginning to see the, the, the stages of right now, is God doing something around the country. And you know, there were, there were um, two or three years ago when we had the whole COVID thing. I'll tell you what, that was one of the most stressful times that I've ever experienced as a pastor. And there, you know, Sundays come and I would, I would come in here and preach a sermon to, to an empty building, which is not as much fun as you might think it is. Okay. And it would go out and, you know, I didn't know what was coming. I mean, things happened during that time that, that have never happened in my lifetime. I mean, the whole economy, every business was shut down for a period of time. Churches were shut down. And one of the things that, that I took out of that you know, I didn't know, are, are we going to be able to, you know, once we stop meeting, you know, are, are people going to keep giving or are we going to have to start looking at cutting staff? So we had a plan that we weren't going to fire anybody. We were just going to drop it by percentage if we had to until we got down to zero percent, you know, and we didn't know. I didn't know if we were going to recover, but what I did know was that the enemy was trying to use that. There were fights that took place in courts all around the country about churches beginning to meet again. And all I knew was that, that the enemy was trying to use that to destroy us. And now the, the studies are coming out that those churches that came back and started meeting again in May or earlier, that they're now thriving. And the churches that stayed closed for extended periods of time are still not even back to the levels they were. Most of them are 20, 30, 40% below what they were before COVID started. Now, I'm not 100% sure what all the factors in that are, and I'm not saying it's because of that or whatever, but here's the deal. We knew that we had to, we had to meet again. We, we felt this compulsion that, that we had to open our doors and start meeting again as a church. And the other thing that I think is a commonality that you'll find where God starts to move is that the Word of God is respected and honored for what it is. And there's a lot of attacks on the Bible, even within Christianity, of people trying to say, well, it doesn't really mean that, well, it doesn't mean this, well, that's just this, and trying to dismiss parts of the Word. And one of the things that we've always done, and, I, and trust me, this is not something I think we ought to be commended for. It's the lowest bar. And that's just preach the Word for what it is. God's the one who determines what sin is. God's the one who says how people are saved. And so we've, we've done that. And there are other churches that have done that too. And I've always said that those churches that 
hold fast to the word of God that God's going to bless them. And I think we're seeing that now too. But here's a couple things. If you watch, you can see what God's doing. In John 5, 19, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. So we need to be prepared as believers that when God starts to move, he starts to move in people we didn't expect him to move in. He'll do it in areas we didn't expect to see him move. And so you need to be watching in the people that are around you at work. Maybe people that you thought, man, these folks, that guy's never going to get saved. You might see people like that, God moving in their life in a way that you never expected. Be ready. Be ready to encourage them. Maybe to share the gospel if you get a chance. Invite them to church to hear the gospel. Whatever it is, be ready and have your eyes open to see where God's moving. Because so many times God starts moving in places that nobody expects. You know, like, I don't know, a church that's like out on the edge of a town that's really hard to get to, that nobody even really knows is there, God chooses to move in those kind of places. Because you know why? Here's why. I can, when you ask what, what's going on there, the only thing I can tell you is God's up to something. I don't have a formula. Hey, you do this, this, and this, and everything, you know, God will start moving. I don't have a, well, we do this better than anybody else. We do that. I, I'm telling you, it's because God's up to something. God's doing something. And God chooses to move in places where it's obvious he's the one doing the moving. That's all I know to tell you, okay? Now, the second thing is, sometimes God can be moving around you and you don't see it. In 2 Kings 6, it says, Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And here's what I want to tell you. Stop focusing on how bad the world is. It is we all know it's bad. And it ain't getting better. But stop moaning about how bad everything's getting and how all the stuff you can't control and start looking to see where God's moving. Because you know what? What's true then is true now. There are chariots of fire around the people of God. And when God's church is being moved by his Holy Spirit, there is nothing that can prevail against it. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The Old Testament says no weapon that is formed against it shall prosper. The church of God will prevail no matter how bad things get out there. And so start focusing on that instead of, oh, man, this is bad. And then next week, man, it's worse this week than it was last week. Stop moaning and griping about how bad the world is and start focusing on how good God is. He can't be defeated. And we're going to see things happen. People are going to try to explain it away. I think we're going to see it all over the country. And people are going to try to explain it away. They're going to fight against it. They're going to count it out. But you know what? They ain't going to be able to stop it because when God starts doing something, it can't be stopped. So start praying that you can see, that we'll be able to see when God moves. Now here, the second one is one of the biggest things. You want to see God's spirit move? You want to see him move in a miraculous way? Get out the way. It's really that simple. Get out of the way. You know, one of the first things I thought, well, man, maybe what do we need to maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to start a team, a revival team. No, we're not doing that. 
Maybe when you start planning this, planning that, we're not doing that either. We're going to do our regular things. We're going to plan our regular plans. But we're going to let God do what God's going to do. And we're going to wait and see what he's doing and then get involved in that. Instead of trying to come up with some other system or formula or way of doing things and saying, hey, God, come bless this. We're going to wait and just see what he's doing because he's doing something right now. And we won't be involved in that. And we're going to get out of the way. Now, one of the ways we get out of the way is by, by letting God do his thing. But the other way we get out of the way is by not hindering what God's doing. See, there's a thing. It, it's all through the scripture. You know how we hinder the things of God? It's when we allow things into our personal lives and into the church that aren't supposed to be there. In Joshua 7, this was after the, one of the greatest victories in the history of the world. Israel marched around the, the, the most highly fortified city in the world. A city that they said could not be taken. They marched around it for seven days and God brought the walls down. And they went in and conquered the most fortified city in the world after letting God do his thing. Now, you know what God told me? He said, hey, there are a lot more victories to be won. I'm going to ask you one thing. There are going to be a lot of chances for you to take plunder. But this time it all belongs to me. It all belongs to me. Don't you take a thing. And so what happens is, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man, one man, a man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. And you know what happened? They went out for another battle. And this was against a little bitty town. A town that they could have rolled over in a second. And matter of fact, the guy said, hey, you know what, man? This is, we don't need to take the whole army up there. I mean, there's only a few hundred of them. Let's just send a couple thousand. I mean, enough to be overwhelming. But we don't need to take the whole entire army up there. So y'all go up there and whoop AI real quick, if you don't mind. And so they went up there, and the, the people of AI came out. You know what happened? The children of Israel lost their courage. Why? Because God wasn't moving there anymore. He wasn't fighting for them like he did at Jericho. They didn't whip Jericho. God whipped Jericho. God brought down the walls. God brought them victory. And now God's hand was off of them. Why? Because one guy was hindering the work of God. And so they came back and they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? And so they all tore their clothes got on their face before God. God, why did you desert us? Why didn't you fight for us? Why did we get whooped by a little bitty AI? But the Lord said to Joshua, I kind of like this. <laughs> get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. See, now he's not talking. Look, he ain't, God's not impressed by us laying down and crying. Now, I, I get it. Sometimes we do that. There's times when I weep over my own sin or just by the presence of God. And since I turned 40, I weep a lot more to everything. I don't know why, but I do. First service, I was weeping because let me tell you something. Usually, first service, there's like 40 people in here, and I ain't sure how many of them are really alive or awake or anything else. And I looked around this morning, they were almost all in here, and man, they were excited before the service even started. And it made me tear up a little bit because... There's something different. So look, he said, look, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded. Must be set apart for me. 
And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. Here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I spent all week thinking, man, I don't want, no, I don't want a sin hidden in my heart to hinder the work of God. We all got to examine our own hearts. Have we allowed something that God said, uh-uh, stay away from it? we allowed that in our life? So what does that look like? Okay, I'm going to tell you what that looks like, and I'm going to give you fair warning right now. We have now reached the meddling part of the sermon where I'm fitting to get up all in your business. You understand what I'm saying? So be prepared for that. I love you, but I'm fixing to go there. So here's what it says. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, some of you were once like that. So now, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. But let me tell you what the problem is in the church. One of our problems is we've let some of that stuff seep back in. There are two major areas where I believe the church is vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Number one is in the area of sexual sin. And you see that being manifested in different ways. There's, there are three different kinds, really, of sexual sin. Fornication, that's sex outside of marriage. Adultery, that's sex with someone else when you're married or with someone else who's married. And then the third one are perversions, and that's homosexuality. Uh, prostitutes, trans, the trans movement, all, whatever you want to call all, uh, and the 93,000 genders they now have, those are all distortions of the original gift that God gave to man and woman. When we do fornication or adultery, those are things that where we're taking the gift of God and we're using them outside the bounds that God created. Homosexuality and all these other things are perversions of the God-given gift. Okay, And here's the deal. You see the attacks from the enemy on all those. Normalizing fornication. Well, yeah, you, you know, of course you're living together. I mean, you're supposed to. That's how you try things out, blah, blah, blah. And you'll hear, the, well, you know, why wouldn't you want to live with somebody before you marry him? Well, why would you want to? You, you, you would think you can go practice commitment without being committed? Marriage is first and foremost about commitment. It's commitment to each other and it's commitment to God in your marriage and for your marriage. And so you're seeing the normalization of that within the church. You see all this? Well, it's a lifestyle. Everything's now a lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle if it's outside God's word. It's a sin. And then they're trying to force people to, to accept homosexuality and the trans thing and all that. Look, I want you to understand something. We're, we're not supposed to hate anybody homosexual, trans, or whatever else. We, we ought to love them, but we can't tolerate the sin. We can't normalize the sin. We can't tell them, well, that ain't a big deal because God says it is a big deal. Do you hear what he said? Don't fool yourselves and don't fool other people. So I'm not telling you this to point the finger at somebody else. I'm telling you this to look in your own heart. Is any of that in you? Pornography is a sin of lust. I don't care how much people try to tell you it's normal or it's okay. It is not. 
and it will affect your relationship with your spouse or your future spouse, and not in a good way. It's a sin. Some of you need to go home and, and get rid of your computers or put something on there. There are different kinds of software that you can put on there that will stop you from being able to look at things. You need it on your phone. You know what? If, if your wife or your husband can't look at your phone, why not? Now, unless you are a secret agent man or woman <laughs> and you have on your phone secrets that could destroy the entire world, you ain't got no excuse not to let your spouse look at your phone. They should be able to look through it anytime they want. Now, here's another one. It talks about drunkards. Sin, drunkenness is a sin. Alcohol is a major problem within the church today. And here's, oh, here he goes, here he goes. I know, I know, I know. I want to tell you something. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that drinking a beer or a glass of wine is a sin. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But let me tell you what it does say. We're going to, we're going to read on. It says, you say I'm allowed to do anything. There's freedom in Christ. There is. But not everything is good for you. Now, I would tell you from my personal experience of dealing and counseling with marriages and people in issues, alcohol is not a good thing. I have yet to have somebody come into my office, man, I tell you what, my marriage was a mess until we supposed started drinking a lot. <laughs> and now it's so much better. I had nobody tell me that. But I can tell you dozens and dozens of times when I've heard the opposite. All right? You may say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Now listen to this. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Some of y'all are slaves to alcohol. Well, I'm not. I can quit anytime. If you plan you're going to work and coming home by where you making sure you stop at the right place to make sure you got beer at home, if you can't imagine going home and not drinking, if you make decisions about, hey, we got invited to two parties, but you know they go to church, they ain't going to have no alcohol there. Or we could go over here, I'm, I ain't going to think, got it. I mean, I can't watch the Super Bowl without a six-pack. Let me tell you something. You may not be getting drunk, but you're a slave to it. If it affects your decisions, and if it causes you, I can't do this without that. I'm not doing this unless I can have that. You are a slave to it. And you know what the Bible says? Don't be a slave to anything. Jesus came and died on the cross to set you free. Not for you to go through the rest of your life choosing to be a slave. Choose to be free. Don't be a slave to anything. And some of it, it may be something else. It may be one of these other things. Abusive, greed, thieves, cheating people. Don't allow those things. Don't allow making money to rule your life. Don't, don't allow being popular and accepted by everybody else to rule your life. Choose to live in such a way that honors God. The only way to be, if you're allowing what other people think to affect your decisions, you're a slave. Don't be a slave to anything. Be free. And you know what? Here's part of the deal with that. I don't want to be the one that hinders the Spirit of God, and I bet you don't either. And you might think, well, I, I'm not, why, what does it matter? I'm not the preacher. Achan was somebody nobody had ever heard of. 
He wasn't the head of anything. He wasn't the leader of anything. He was just a guy. And yet he brought defeat to his entire nation because he did and he took what God told him not to. So if you look in your life and in your tent and there's something buried in there and maybe you, well, it's secret. Nobody knows. God knows. You better get rid of that. That's called repentance. Turn away from it. You see, God wasn't interested in their sorrow or remorse. Why are you letting, get off the ground. He said, here's the problem. Fix it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Get rid of it. And that's what we need to do if we really want to see a movement of God. Now, the next thing is this. And I've talked about it a little bit. But it's lifting high the name of Jesus. Because only God can revive. Only God can save people. You know, there have been times through the years, and I know it was just because sometimes they were new in the faith and they didn't really know, but people would say, hey, well, you saved me a year ago. And I'm, no, 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 no. I didn't save anybody. Only God can save people. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the one who God used in that moment to share the gospel with you. But he called you. He cleansed you. He forgave you. He made you a new creation. I didn't do any of that. He did all that. Only God. John 12, 30 through 32. Then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit. That's when God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, be cast out. <clears throat> I, I believe that at some point there's going to be a, a revival like this is going to be the last one. And it's going to be the beginnings of the return of Christ. I hope and pray this is it. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. What is our job as a church, as believers, is to lift up the name of Jesus. You know, I, I talked to some people, uh, through the years I've talked to a lot of them, they've talked to me a lot about, one of the things they always tell you is, I, I wish I could explain to you what it was like back in the 70s to see God move and do things. You know, one of uh, a, a gentleman who's a member of our church now, and he was a pastor of a church up in Arkansas. He's been pastor several. He's been a missionary. And he said that in the 70s, he was pastoring just a little bitty church in, in this area. And they were, he was part of an association of like 100 churches. And that this guy came to Christ and he said he baptized the first African-American that had ever been baptized in that entire association that had been around for over 100 years. And he said, you just can't explain. There were 12 of us that used to meet and pray that God would do something. And all 12 of us, God called all 12 of us to ministry. We all became pastors or church planners or missionaries. He said, I, I wish I could explain to you what that was like. But one of the things that I've learned by talking to those folks through the years is that one of the things that kind of stopped it was that at some point it became more about, hey, this is happening here, or we're doing this. Or you ought to see what's going on at our church. And, and I, want you to, I, I, I want you to tell people about what's going on. I want you to tell people that God's moving, not just here, but in other places. 
But I want you to understand something. We always got to come back to, to God be the glory. He's the one doing it. You can call our pastor and say, hey, what are you doing? And he'll tell you, I don't know. What are you preaching some stuff? Nope. What are you doing this? Nope. Well, what about when you give the gospel? Y'all know something. I give the gospel pretty much the same way every week. Matter of fact, there's dozens of y'all that could get up here and do it too. So the same gospel that I gave some Sunday when nobody got saved is the one I gave a week or two ago when there were 30 people saved. So it's not, it ain't because I've got some kind of secret sauce. I don't. It's all because of God and what he does. And we need to lift him up. Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't know if it's just a temporary thing. I don't know if it's going to go on for a while. I don't know if it's just going to happen in the places it's happening now. I don't know if it's going to spread. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just like you. I'm kind of along for the ride. But I want to make sure that I'm not the one holding the brakes. I want to make sure that people know who's driving the train. That's the Lord God himself. I don't, I don't want any credit for it. We got, to, we got to long to lift up the name of Jesus because he deserves the credit. And then the last part of that is this, John 3, 14 through 15. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You see, the children of Israel disobeyed God and rebelled against him. And God sent poisonous snakes as a judgment. God's holy. Don't forget that God's just. He is. And the poisonous snakes began biting the children of Israel. And then Moses told, God told Moses, excuse me, to make a bronze serpent and put it on top of a staff and to put it up in the middle of the camp. And that whoever looked on the bronze staff would be healed. You see, here's the thing. All of us have been bitten by a poisonous snake of our own sin. The wages of sin is death. But God, because he loves us, you know, once you get bit, you don't die right away. It might be a while. You might even walk around for a little while not even knowing something's wrong. But you're under a sentence at that point. Death's already begun. It's working. It's doing its work. And that's what happens the moment that we sin. We're born with a sin nature. We start dying the moment we're born. But here's the thing. When Jesus is lifted up, those who look to him can be saved, can be healed, and can be set free. Now, this message is for believers and for non-believers. Some of y'all are slaves. You're slaves to some kind of a sin that, that maybe you've even thought, I just can't, I can't break free of this. That's, that, let me tell you what that's doing. That's disagreeing with the word of God. I don't care what the sin is. The Bible says Jesus has set us free from it. The scripture tells us we have all the power we need to overcome it. It says there's no temptation that can overcome us. That God will always give us a way of escape. So we can defeat those sins, even the ones we've struggled with for nearly all our lives. And everybody struggles with some kind of sin. The problem is when we start to say, well, that's just the way they are. No, we're all born with something. 
that we struggle with. Now, your struggle might be different from mine. Mine might be different from yours. Yours might be different from the other guys. But we all have something that we're just drawn to because of our sin nature. But Jesus died that we could be set free. And so as believers, you have the opportunity. Here's what you got. You got to repent. You got to turn away from it. You know, the, the hidden thing in the, that nobody knows about, the hidden sin, you can't just, well, I, you know, I'm just going to leave it there in the dirt, pretend like it ain't there, but I ain't going to take it out of the dirt. I'm going to leave it there. No, that's not what you do. You take it out and you destroy it. You get rid of it. You get rid of it. You know, when they got beat by that little nation, that stuff they weren't supposed to have, it was buried. It was under the ground, hidden. Nobody knew it was there except the guy maybe and his family. Nobody else knew about it. But it was still disobedience to God. And the only way to, to get rid of it is not to pretend like, well, because what you're doing, if you're saying, well, I'm just not going to go there. If you leave yourself a pathway to go back in case you change your mind, you hadn't really turned away from it, have you? Turn away from it. Repent of it. Turn to Jesus. For those of you who don't know Christ, here's the thing. God gave you a way. You see, when we sin, it separates us from God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin is a problem. We have to admit that we're sinners, ask forgiveness of our sins, and repent of them. It's really simple. And here's the thing. God tells us, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And some of you may be thinking, well, i got to clean some things up first. Forget about it. You ain't ever going to be able to get clean enough. And the only way you'll ever really clean up those things you struggle with is through the power of Jesus, and that comes from a relationship with him. Because when you come to know him, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. It makes you a new creation, gives you a new heart. It changes you from the inside out. You can have that. The second thing is you got to believe Jesus wasn't just some guy. He's God's son. He is the only way to heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He lived a sinless life and died on the cross for your sins and for mine. It was because of his sinlessness that he was able to die as a substitute for my sins and for yours. you got to believe in Jesus. You got to believe he died on the cross for you. And you got to believe that he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. And then the last thing is you got to confess him as Lord. That you're going to live his way, by his word, by his will. You'll mess up at it. Everybody does. But you got to come and confess Jesus as Lord. And then you know the amazing thing about our Father is. When we blow it and we come before him, he says, get up, turn away from it. I'm going to clean you up. Keep going. He'll never forsake you or desert you. He will always be with you. But you have to begin that relationship with him. And here's the thing. You might say, well, you know, when I was a kid, my parents did this or they dedicated me or they had me baptized or whatever. That's, that was their decision, and that was, hey, that was cool. They loved you. 
But here's the deal. You have to make the decision for yourself. All they did was, was start you on the path. But you have to choose to trust Jesus for yourself. Every single one of us has to choose on our own. Nobody else can choose for us. Your parents can't choose for you, your grandparents, your wife, your husband, your kids, nobody can choose but you. You have to choose to trust Jesus. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead anyone who would like to in a prayer of salvation. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're in right relationship with God, and if you'd like to know that that relationship's going to go on forever in heaven, within, I want you to pray this with me. And I'm going to, it's a simple prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray in your heart. God will hear you. But I want you to pray it with me now. So I'm going to ask that everyone bow your heads, close your eyes, please. And if that's you, you pray this with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Change me and make me yours. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day, according to scripture. And so today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything in front of everybody that's here. All I want you to do is just right where you're sitting is I want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. If you prayed that prayer today, look up at me right now and keep looking, okay? All right. It's going to take me a minute. Okay, I'll see you. Okay, I'll see you. All right, got you. Okay. All right. Okay. See you. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In a moment, I want to pray for you. And I want you to, if somebody brought you, maybe somebody that you know, maybe they're a believer and they brought you to church with them, I, I want you to tell them that you prayed that prayer to receive Christ. And we'd love for you to let us know. There's a number you can text. Just text SAVE to that number or there's a, a QR code you can open with your phone's camera. It's also in your bulletin. And let us know that you prayed that prayer and we would love to be praying for you. We would love to set up a time to talk to you either in person or on the phone. All we wanna do is answer questions you have and encourage you in the next steps in following Jesus. Hey, you don't have to join this church. You don't even have to come back here. It's okay, we love you. We just wanna help you in your journey with Christ. And we do want to encourage you to find a church home. You're welcome here. 
but it's all right if, you, if, you, if it's in the place for you. We're okay with that. We just want to help. John will be here in a few moments to dismiss us with a word of prayer, and you can come and tell him in person, even set up a time to meet with him or someone else. We have folks that will meet with you today if you like, and we'd love to talk to you. So right now I want to pray for you, and I also want to pray for the rest of us as believers that, that our eyes will be open to seeing the movements of God that our eyes would be clear, that we would be ready to move and to, to, to serve him. And that we would cleanse our lives of any things that might hinder God's spirit and his work and always lift up Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for those that made a decision today to trust you. Father, I pray for blessings upon their life I thank you, God, that their sins are forgiven and that they are new creations, that they are adopted as sons and, or daughters into the kingdom of God, into your family as your children. And Father, I pray that in the days ahead that, Lord, they would be surrounded by other believers that would encourage them and help them in their walk with you, help them to find the right church. Father, as they open up the Bible, may they hear your voice through it. And Father, I pray for the rest of us that God, you'd help us to be the people that, that you can use to minister to a world that needs Jesus more than anything. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.